G'day, this is the Office Anywhere podcast, a show that inspires you to create meaningful change for yourself and others. My name is Peter Fritz, and I'm a relentlessly curious 50-plus life enthusiast from Australia, known for having a go, failing quite a lot, and getting back up again. I thrive on stories about living on purpose, levelling up, and the courage it takes to do work that matters. And so I share ideas that can help you find your path, climb your mountain, and create a life you're proud of. To check out previous episodes, go to peterfritz.co slash podcast. If you want to create something on the side, some kind of a business, what are the very first steps? There's a lot of information out there about all kinds of tactics and strategies that you can follow, but what are the very first things that you really need to be thinking about? I mean, do you need a brilliant idea? Do you need to figure out a business name? Do you need a logo? Do you need money? Do you need backing? This is a topic that's um, very warm to my heart for a lot of reasons, but one of them, I guess, is that creating a side business is, I think, an ideal path to the autonomy, the freedom, and the peace of mind that most of us want. But knowing where to start can be really hard because, well, there's so much advice out there, and a lot of it comes from people who have really very little practical business experience, or their experience is one-dimensional. Well, I'm about to give you a bit more advice, but the difference is I do have the experience and it's across multiple industries, different channels and different disciplines. Now, to some of you, the concepts that I mentioned of freedom and autonomy, they've become overhyped to a point where, well, they become bywords for bullshit. The thing is, a lot of you have gotten to a point where you sort of doubt that they're actually attainable. And so their whole desirability has dimmed for you over the years. But like anyone who doesn't think bungee jumping is life-changing, and believe me, (laughs) it is, you believe it when it happens. So let me take you back to the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, because that feeling of uh, excitement like you get when you bungee jump, that feeling of a light switch going off was how it felt for me back in 1976 when my neighbour opened her front door to witness a much younger version of me with my knees shaking, my hands all sweaty and my voice quivering. I was eight years old and thanks to Black Sabbath's album, We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll, which incidentally took me weeks to say for and even weeks longer for it to arrive in the mail. But because of that album, I decided that I needed a drum kit and that to get one, I'd have to make at least $100. Now, at that time, my sister and I earned our weekly allowance by doing various chores around the house, vacuuming, washing dishes, ironing clothes, and I still do a pretty mean job on a cotton shirt. But I knew that those meagre earnings weren't going to be enough to scratch this itch. So in my first entrepreneurial seizure, as Michael Gerber calls it, I decided to make something everyone would surely want, a collection of letter openers carved from six-inch nails. Yeah, I know, I know. No one else has thought of it, have they? I was an innovator. Uh, The good thing was my dad was a builder, so I had unfettered access to the back shed and all the tools that I needed, plus a steady supply of six-inch nails. So for weeks, I laboured over my designs well into the evenings and was ultimately rewarded with a selection of pieces that seemed hmm, good enough to sell. Some of them even maybe too good to sell. So standing there at Coralie Burke's front door and delivering my well-rehearsed pitch, I managed to sell my very first product which she plucked from the pewter display cup my mum had lent me. And in an instant, my quest for freedom and autonomy began. 
Now, the funny thing is, I hadn't stopped wetting the bed yet, but I honestly believed I was destined to become a drum-playing businessman of considerable means. Now, other ventures followed, and despite the slow take-up of my handicrafts, I remained undeterred and optimistic about my future. Over the years that followed, I tried a lot of things, and through lots of practice and dogged persistence, I managed to become a writer, a web designer, a motoring journalist, and a photographer. I renovated properties, uh, subdivided properties, I sold Asian groceries in our own Asian grocery store, and rented out movies at our movie rental shop. I became a lifelong side hustler. Now, some of my ideas fizzled, or they never got off the ground, but just as my first foray into business showed me that I could make the sale, it also taught me not to give up completely when things didn't work out as I'd hoped. And today, it's no different. In fact, the key principles are truer than ever. It's just that the mechanics have changed and the potential outcomes have amplified. Before, it was, you know, door-to-door local newspaper ads and letterbox drops. Today, it's the internet. It's podcasts like this. It's eBay. It's YouTube. But the good thing is the core tenets haven't changed. They remain the same. There are four essential steps. Number one is you've got to create something that people want, whether it's a product or a service. Two, you've got to attract their attention somehow. Three, you need to earn their trust. And four, you've got to help them decide if what you're offering is right for them or not. It's pretty simple. Now, pandemics notwithstanding, poor results often stem from a failure in one or more of these four steps. So where do you begin? What does it actually take to start a business? Is it a great product? Is it financial resources or financial backing of some kind? Do you need to be well-known? Is it celebrity, notoriety? Do you need a fancy logo or a cool website? Well, maybe, but usually, no. I've seen people become hugely successful on a shoestring budget and using selling widely available products that you can get from anywhere. Uh, they have had no audience and a terrible website or no website. What they've done instead is they've focused on those four steps. They've offered something that people actually want and will pay for. That's important. They've gained some kind of attention. They've built trust with people, which usually requires a fair dose of patience. And instead of trying to close people or sell people, they've simply served people. Now, thanks to the internet, we're blessed with the means to reach people on a global scale. Immediately, though, this creates something of a paradox, because the moment we hang out our shingle, we become the smallest needle in the largest haystack. The flip side is, it also allows us to be exactly who we are and still find willing buyers. And that's because we have a much broader mix of people to appeal to and select from um, and to narrow our, I guess, ideal audience down to. And the thing is, because of this, we can pick and choose from the myriad sales channels that are available and deliver value that's unique to us, that suits us and our personality and our style, while also being perfect for our customers. Now, there are a whole range of channels, um, and there are certainly more than what I'm about to cover here, but this gives you a good thumb sketch of the kinds of things you can be thinking about. Obviously, probably at the top of the list is your own website, whether that's a blog or it's um, something else um, more comprehensive than, than just a blog. It could be an e-commerce site where you actually physically sell products, digital or otherwise. Uh, so a website, um, email. You'd be surprised how many people actually have built their business purely on uh, emailing their subscribers. And they do commerce that way. They actually sell their products and services via email. Uh, another is, say, a course platform like Udemy or Teachable or Kajabi, and there's a gazillion others. Uh, webinars like Demio, Webinar Jam, Ever Webinar, and again, a gazillion others. 
um, maybe YouTube or Vimeo, uh, podcast like, I mean, here, uh, social media, of course, eBay, Amazon or Etsy if you're selling physical stuff, Upwork, Fiverr, Freelancer and all the others if you're selling services and you're just starting out. Maybe a Facebook community or some other kind of community or a club or association or industry groups. There are so many channels now through which you can either A, promote what you do or directly sell what you do that we're seriously spoiled for choice. And it almost doesn't matter what kind of personality you are, what kind of product or service you want to sell, where you are in the world or how you like to show up in the world, there's going to be a channel that suits you. So where do you begin though? I mean, where's the low hanging fruit? Well, like most things, that depends. I'll give you some examples. My wife sells highly commoditized products through multiple vendors, uh, sorry, sourced through multiple vendors. So she moves her products through eBay and Amazon. My youngest daughter likes makeup and she doesn't mind being in front of a camera. So what she did was she first built a following on YouTube to the tune of something like 140,000 subscribers And now she sells live webinar training sessions on makeup application. My eldest daughter, Amy, loves fashion. So she uh, hires out designer dresses and she promotes them via Instagram, does a brilliant job at it. As for me, I teach people about living on purpose. So I share my ideas with this podcast and also on my blog. Um, I also design marketing programs and websites for other businesses. This is where I earn the bulk of my income. So... My work for that, most of it these days really comes through referrals because I've been doing it a long time and, you know, I make a point of doing a very good job of it. Um, But I also have a website for that as well. Now, I don't particularly enjoy social media, you know, producing social media content. So I pay someone to help me a bit with that. And I also want to do a lot more video, but that's super time consuming. And I certainly don't have time to edit everything as much as I enjoy it and want to do it. So I've hired someone to help me with that as well. Now, what these examples illustrate is a really important key question that you have to ask yourself. That question is, what am I interested in and or what skills or insights do I have? Now, the reason this question is so important is, I guarantee you know more than you think you do about something. And you've underplayed it because you've become so, it's just become part of who you are. So you're not really aware of just how much more you know about something than somebody else who wants to learn it. And that leads to the second point is there is almost certainly other people out there who can benefit from this knowledge that you have. And third, the reason why it's important to think about what am I interested in and or what skills or unique insights do I have is if you try to do something or sell something that you know or care very little about, then you're probably going to fail for one of two reasons. Either you're going to quit too early because you're bored with it, or you're going to quit because you're no damn good at it. (laughs) So uh, this question is super, super important. And more than any other question is why so many fail on their first attempt. That's because they choose something that's either A, a passion that they have, but it's not their unique or marketable skill. Two, they think it's a a route to easy money, a way to make easy money. They know it feels wrong, but, you know, it's tempting, easy money. Or three, it's just too broad to appeal to anyone. Now, I've been guilty of all three of those. And unsurprisingly, the things that have made me the most money are the things where I've developed mastery. 
They are things like web design, marketing, writing, photography, and property investment. And getting there reminds me of something Charlie Tremendous Jones said. When someone asked him how he became so successful, he built a $140 million company with no employees to begin with. When they asked him, how did you become so successful? He said, good judgment. The person then asked, well, how do you get that? Experience. Well, how do you get that? Poor judgment. (laughs) Over the last four years, I've sought to build mastery in a new skill, which is helping people live better. Now, I know it's nothing particularly grand, but I think it's worthy all the same. And during that time, I've rarely sought to make any money from it because I've learned that mastery precedes money. And unlike a technical skill, like say web design, Selling advice that might, cha- that might change someone's life, I think, requires a bigger investment in mastery, a longer investment. And like all things that I've mastered over the years, going through this process has required me to gain experience through poor judgment, through screwing up. And you're going to have to go through the same process. Granted, the timeline might be much shorter. Um, I started selling my web design skills in the very first year that I got on the internet. You know, I spent a lot of nights staying up till three o'clock in the morning teaching myself this stuff, but, you know, it was fairly quick. And, you know, for you, the process will still be there regardless of how short the time frame is. So as Seth Godin says, the long game is the shortcut. But where does this leave us? Well, I reckon it leaves us with these half a dozen important steps. The first is to make an inventory of the skills that you already have and try to combine your core skill, you're going to have at least one there that's a really strong core skill that you've developed over a period of time. Try to combine that with one or two others so they can act as a multiplier of the first one. And if you can, try to include at least one soft skill. It can make all the difference with how you position yourself. For example, I combine my design skills with my limited but serviceable ability to write and speak and my empathy as a middle-aged divorcee who lost everything then made it back again. Okay, the second one is decide how you want to share what you know, how you want to share it. I mean, do you like to write? Do you like to speak? Are you happy to be in front of a camera? Are you a visual person? Do you prefer long form or short form communication? Whatever it is that you decide, what platforms best suit those preferences? Decide on one and then begin with that. Most of them will be self-evident. You know, think about these things about how you like to show up. And then consider the different platforms and which one provides the best combination of, I guess, functionality to uh, enable that for you. Okay, so number three is uh, find out what you need to learn to sell your skills on the platform that you've chosen. You know, if if you've decided, like my eldest daughter, that Instagram is the best way to promote what you're doing, then learn how to be an effective Instagrammer. There are some brilliant courses out there, and I interviewed a couple of girls from Ace the Gram uh, Tash and Viv a little while ago here on this uh, on my podcast, um, and you know you can learn from people like those, and it's amazing just how much you realise you don't know about something when you get an expert, um, you know, in your circle to help you. So make sure you make the effort to uh, find out what you need to learn, and don't wing it if you don't have to. Find those people who have the skills and learn from them, and you're probably going to have to pay for it, but that's a good thing. I mean, we pay more attention when we pay. All right, the fourth thing is to just simply start creating and then iterate as you go. It's not possible to figure out the ideal approach when you're just beginning. You need to figure stuff out as you go. 
Um, follow the people that you respect, but don't become their mirror image. It's very easy to slip into just becoming like so, so-and-so. You don't want to be that. You want to be yourself because no one else can be you. That is your USP, your unique selling proposition, is the you part of it. Okay, the fifth one is, as Seth Godin says, play the long game and learn what your potential customers want. And you do that by talking to them, listening to them, and speaking to them in a way that they understand and appreciate. And remember, you're only trying to please the smallest viable audience. You can't and you should never try to please the majority. It's not possible anyway, and it'll just dilute your messaging to the point where it's vanilla. And the final thing is be honest and authentic in all your work. Recognize that your job is not to sell or to close anyone, but to get their attention, earn their trust, and then help them decide if you're right for them or not. As always, tactics have their place, but nothing takes the place of principles. Always look at your motives and be honest about them. If you want to be famous, that's fine, but be honest about it. If you want to help someone solve a problem or overcome a challenge or improve their life in a particular way, then constantly check if your decisions actually match that desire. So what's really stopping you? I reckon that it's unlikely your ability to start something is hamstrung by any of the reasons you've told yourself. Chances are it isn't about money or time or expertise. Yes, I have bugger all free time too. I work long hours and there are a lot of things that I want to achieve in my life. And some of them are just purely personal. I want to spend a lot of time with my kids and so on. So, you know, I know time is a factor, um, but, you know, the the biggest um, achievers in the world still have 24 hours a day, just like all of us. And yes, there are going to be Things that you have to go without, things that you have to do. There are sprints you're going to have to take, marathons you're going to have to undertake to get to where you want to go. Um, But I don't think that money or time or expertise, and expertise is another one that we often think that we're not expert enough yet, I don't think those are the real reasons. I think it's mostly just good old-fashioned fear. We're scared that we'll be flushed out as a fraud. We're scared that we'll be awkward or inadequate or unwanted. We worry that no one's going to pay attention to what we're doing. And all these fears are very real. But they're fundamentally unwarranted. Yes, you probably will be awkward and unpolished, but most of us view this as authentic. So, you know, don't sweat it. And so long as you're not trying to be someone else, really, it's fine. And yes, for a while at least, no one will pay attention. You'll probably suffer imposter syndrome quite often. I mean, every person does, and especially the famous ones. In fact, the famous ones are probably more guilty of it than anybody. But don't worry about these things. Here's all you really need to worry about. Number one is just start. Two, try to be useful. Three, be yourself. Number four, keep learning. And five, just iterate as you go. Because if you want freedom and autonomy, you'll have to earn them. It won't be easy, but thankfully, it's never been easier. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Thanks for hanging out with me again. If you want to read the blog post that goes along with this episode, just go over to peterfritz.co slash 115. And until we chat again, Here's to living on purpose. Catch you then. Bye-bye.